morning. I hope you're all well. Uh, today, I'd like to share a message with you that I shared about two years ago when I was still just a visiting guest preacher. I shared it then for the same reasons I'm sharing it now, because it is one of the most important teachings the Lord ever gave me, and I want you to have it. <laughs> but first, a little song. The chimes of time ring out the news Another day is through Someone slipped and fell Was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength Your courage to renew Do not be disheartened For I have news for you it is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. There is no night, for in His light You'll never walk alone Always feel at home Wherever you may roam No evil power can conquer you Well, God is on your side Just take Him at His promise Don't run away and hide It is what God can do What He's done for others He'll do for you and you and you With arms wide open He'll pardon you It is no secret What God can do It is no secret what God can do. It is no secret. Several years ago, I saw this Calvin and Hobbes cartoon in the Sunday newspaper. For those of you who don't know who Calvin and Hobbes are, Calvin was a precious little boy, about six years old. And Hobbes was a stuffed toy tiger who occasionally became full-size, an imaginary best friend that he talked with. And here's one of their short conversations. Calvin, I feel bad that I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. I'm sorry I did it. Hobbes, maybe you should apologize to her. Calvin, I keep hoping there's a less obvious solution. <laughs> and with this in mind, I'd like to begin by reading a small section of scripture from Luke. 23:33 Luke 23:33 and here it is And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary there they crucified him and the malefactors one on the right hand and the other on the left Then Jesus said Father forgive them for they know not what they do 
And Lord, it is our prayer this morning that we could learn your feelings on this subject of forgiveness, that you could touch our hearts in ways perhaps they've not been touched before, that we could learn to do this with you and for you. Thank you, Lord, for always taking such good care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in the summer of 1968, the notorious Manson family committed a pair of heinous crimes in the hills above Hollywood. The first crime involved taking the life of pregnant film actress Sharon Tate and four of her friends. The second atrocity happened the following night, just a few blocks away, and it involved taking the lives of Rosemary LaBianca and her husband Leno. For reasons, actually, that were just based on bad information. Their daughter, Sharon LaBerge, found them the next day and first went into shock, then into rage, and finally went into the very depths of almost suicidal depression. In time, she developed a case of malabsorption, an illness which prevents food from entering the bloodstream, and her doctor told her, on a scale from zero to 10, with zero being death and 10 being life, you are about at a 0 0.5. You're about at a 0 0.5. Meanwhile, her parents' main assassin, Manson family member Tex Watson, is serving a life sentence in a nearby prison. While there, finally free of drugs for the first time in years, Tex begins visiting the prison chapel and eventually he accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Interestingly, during this same period, Sharon LeBurge also received Jesus as her Lord and Savior, but her illness of malabsorption did not improve. Her hatred and unforgiveness toward Tex Watson completely blocked her from being able to have any peace or any relief from her life-threatening depression. Life-threatening depression. Then one day, when she's reading the morning paper, she runs across an article about Tex Watson and what's happened to him in prison, including his trans transformation into Christianity. At this point, Sharon realizes that as a Christian herself, she has to forgive this man, but she doesn't know how but she doesn't know how. So on a whim, she begins writing to him, signing her letters, Sharon LaBerge. Interestingly, he writes back not knowing that she is the LaBianca's daughter, and over time, they become almost pen pals. Finally, Sharon realizes writing isn't enough. So she decides to visit him in the prison and forgive him in person. When she does, when she does, when she does, they both end up weeping and comforting one another as Tex begs for and receives Sharon's total forgiveness. And, 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 and Sharon's malabsorption disappeared forever. She went on to become a happy wife and a happy mother of two lovely children. My point, unforgiveness can take a terrible toll on people and it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with. And it's critical for us to note, hear me, it's critical for us to note, forgiveness is not a feeling, it is a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it is a decision and it requires action, action. So this morning, I wanna help all of us with our decision to forgive others by sharing a formula for taking action. The word ACT, A-C-T, can be used as an invaluable acronym for a three-step process. ACT stands for A, accept human fallibility. C, cancel the debt. T, 
Turn the page. With these in mind, let's return to our text. Luke 23:33 says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and on the, the other on the left. And Jesus said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Step one, accept human fallibility. First of all, how important is forgiveness? How important is forgiveness? Well, it's the very first thing that Jesus mentions to us from the cross. Father, forgive them. Now, generally speaking, the Bible is fairly consistent in listing things in order of importance, from the most important on down. So it's significant that that's the first thing he ever said. Second of all, forgiveness is the only thing, hear me, the only thing that Jesus asks of us in the entire Lord's Prayer. Just listen, Matthew 6, 9. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's about God reigning in heaven and the holiness of his name. Thy kingdom come, thy will, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's about God's will being embraced here on earth as it becomes increasingly more manifest. 11, give us this day our daily bread. That's about God providing for our spiritual and basic needs. Then, and forgive us our debts as, 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 here we go, we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive our debtors. And there it is. We are asked to forgive one another in the same manner that we want to be forgiven. Then Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's God taking care of us again. So forgiveness is no small matter. But let's note something very important about the very nature of forgiveness. Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is very revealing, very revealing. You see, for a sin to be a sin, a person must know that what they are doing is wrong. If you don't know what you're doing is wrong, believe it or not, it's not a sin. This is why we have greater tolerance for the mistakes of the mentally challenged. People often talk about Eve being tricked by the serpent in the garden, but Eve was not tricked. She was beguiled. She was tempted. She was seduced. Genesis 3, 4 said, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know in that day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods. And James wrote, and I love this, James 1, 14, But every person is tempted when they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed. Then, when lust, lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. Here's what I'm getting at. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If that's truly the case, if they really don't know what they're doing, then he's not asking his Father to forgive their sins specifically. But here's what he's asking them to forgive. Their mistakes, their blunders, their errors, their foul-ups, their confusion, their debts. You see, these people didn't know who Jesus was. These people didn't have a clue. These people thought they were protecting their own faith from a dangerous and destructive religious fanatic. So the first step for forgiveness is A, accept human fallibility. You see, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone messes up. Everyone does something they wish they hadn't. Everyone has a bad day now and then. Everyone makes poor decisions from time to time. You, me, all of us. King David himself would cry out to God in Psalms 25, 18, look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. And there we have it. 
If we could see another person's afflictions, if we could see another person's pain, if we could see another person's anguish, their torment, their suffering, their grief, their abuse, their wounds, their scars, then we would find it much easier to forgive their transgressions against us. This is why it's important to remember Romans 3.10. Romans 3.10, hear me. There are none righteous, no, not one. And this is why it's important to remember American poet Alex Pope's 300-year-old maxim, to err is human, to forgive is divine. To err is human, to forgive is divine. So in order to forgive, we need to act. We need to A, accept human fallibility. Then we need to C, cancel the debt. The Bible reads in John 19, 28, Later, knowing that all was now completed so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. In the original Greek, Jesus says, te telestai, it is finished. These words have been found on ancient papyri receipts for taxes and other debts. The word telestai means both, te telestai means paid in full and debt canceled. Paid in full and debt canceled. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he canceled every debt we will ever have with him over our entire lifetime, past, present, and future. In other words, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all our bills are paid in full. All our debts are completely canceled. Pastor Andy Stanley was teaching on forgiveness, and he noticed a, a woman in the fourth row just crying and crying and crying. And the longer he talked, the more she cried. And when the sermon was over, everyone left, but the woman still sat there crying. He approached her, sat down next to her, and he said, are, uh, are these good tears or bad tears? The woman said, they're good tears. Between sobs, she told her story. She'd gone through a very painful divorce seven years earlier, sought help from a counselor, and one day that counselor forced himself upon her in the worst way. She pressed charges, went to trial, the man was declared innocent and went free. To complicate matters, she discovered that she was pregnant from the encounter. Nine months later, she gave birth to a baby boy. She pulled out her wallet and showed Pastor Stanley a picture of her son. After telling her story, the woman said, and listen to this, the woman said, you know something? For six years, I've had an ironclad case against this man. I've had the support of everyone who has heard my story. But while you were talking, it occurred to me that I was holding a debt over this man's head that he can never repay. I was holding a debt over this man's head that he can never repay. Even if he were to come to me today, he could never pay me back. For six years, I've held on to a debt, waiting for him to somehow repay what he has taken from me. My anger and my resentment have controlled me. I've erected so many walls that nobody can get close to me. I've been determined never to allow that to happen again. But what you said made so much sense. If he can't even repay the debt, what's the point on holding on to it any longer? While I was sitting here, I canceled the debt. He doesn't owe me a thing. I feel like a new woman. Stanley writes, we both sat there and cried. Peter went to Joseph with a problem. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, I don't know exactly what's happened, neither does anybody, but probably Peter is talking about forgiving John, the Apostle John. 
Since a little earlier in the Bible, it says that they were arguing about which of the disciples would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Peter hadn't missed the fact that John considered himself to be especially loved by Jesus. Anyway, Peter, feeling magnanimous, is willing to forgive this person as many as seven times. But what does Jesus say? Matthew 18, 22. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. There is no limit to how many times you should forgive your brother. There is no limit. Then Jesus goes on to tell the story of the wicked servant who begged his king to forgive him a $53 million debt, which the king granted. But then the wicked servant refused to forgive his own servant a meager $40. When the king found out, found out he went into a rage. You wicked servant, he shouted. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And the Bible adds the king threw him into prison to be tormented by the jailers until he repaid the entire debt, all $53 million. Jesus sums it up. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your very heart. Point. Too often we live in grief. We live in prison. We live in torment. We live in isolation. We live out of fellowship with God because we won't cancel the debt. We won't forget what someone's taken from us. We won't let go of something we've already lost, even though, even though, even though it can't be paid back anyway. So to forgive someone, we need to act. We need to, A, accept human fallibility. We need to, to C, cancel the debt. And we need to, T, third, turn the page, turn the page. The Bible tells us in 2 Sam 12, 19, Samuel 12, 19, David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotion, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went back to his own house and at his request, the servants took him food and he ate. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? Maybe the Lord is gracious to me and, and will let me keep the child. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. This is the story of David's little baby boy born of Bathsheba, a little baby who only lived one week before he died. The Bible tells us that while the baby was alive, David fasted and mourned and prayed. But when he learned that the baby was dead, he got up, got dressed, got some food, got back to work. And the servants went goofy. Why are you acting like this? While you were alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child's dead, you get up and eat. David said, when the child was alive, I thought maybe the Lord will be gracious to me and let me have him, let me keep him. But now that he's dead, there's nothing I can do to bring him back. Oh, I will go to him, but he will not come to me. David says, I will go to him, meaning I'll see him eventually in heaven. But adds, but nothing, nothing I do can bring him back to me. David is right, and hear me, David is right. We cannot fix the past. We cannot change history. We cannot undo yesterday. We cannot bring back the baby, but we can turn the page. How? By choosing to forgive by choosing to forgive, by choosing to forgive. Salem, 
Parents who attended the sentencing of a teenager who had abused their children wept. Scott Harrison, 18, was placed on 20 years probation and ordered into a five-year intensive treatment program. The father of one of the victims stood up to address the court. Overnight, his son had become angry, hostile, foul-mouthed, and disobedient. He and his wife had struggled to understand, but the boy was too ashamed to tell them the truth. Scott, the father, said, you stole a piece of the innocence of every little boy or girl that they have a right to keep. But, he added, he and his wife had finally found a way to gain their own personal peace. They found a way to gain their own personal peace. He says, we will not allow you to continue to hurt our family. Scott, even though you do not deserve it, we are choosing to forgive you. Let me repeat that. We will not allow you to continue to hurt our family. Even though you do not deserve it, we are choosing to forgive you. And there it is. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision. It's an action. People may not deserve our forgiveness, but we need to forgive them anyway and not let them continue to hurt us. It's amazing if you walk around hating somebody all your life, you don't grow very much and you don't feel very well. Anne Lamott, who wrote Traveling Mercy, said, not forgiving someone is like drinking a bottle of rat poison than waiting for the rat to die. And she's exactly right. It's exactly right. But you may be thinking, yeah, but I'd like to feel forgiveness too, PK. Well, you can. Let me tell you how. You do it by lifting your hand. That's right. I said lifting your hand. Corey Ten Boom writes this. I had come from Holland to a church in defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. Then I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat with a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. And I remembered the blue uniform, the visored cap with its skull and crossbones. The place was Ravensbrook, and he was one of the guards, one of the very most cruel. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fräulein. And I, who had been so speaking so glibly about forgiveness, fumbled with my pocket, but rather than take that hand. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there, but since I have become a Christian, I know that God has forgiven me, but, and again the hand came out, will you forgive me? It could not have been many seconds he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours but I knew I had to do it. God's forgiveness has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. And I knew why. From daily experience, I had seen that the victims of Nazi brutality who forgave their enemies were able to rebuild their lives. Those who did not, but nursed their bitterness, remained invalids. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But, and hear me, her own words, Forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. She says, I prayed silently. Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand, but I need you to supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I stretched my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started down my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood over my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. 
I had never known God's love so intensely, but even so, I realized this was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. This was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. On a personal note, I pastored a church in another area for about five years, and then I moved on when I felt the Lord calling me. When I did, I was surprised to find out that virtually no one from my old church ever contacted me, except with monthly letters asking me for money for a new church they wanted to build. This went on for about a year, and I was both hurt and angry. So finally, I asked the Lord, what should I do? He said, send them a check. (laughs) Such a basic answer. So I did. I wrote out a check. I took it to the post office, held it up to the slot, and here's the good part. The moment I dropped that envelope into the mail, a healing warmth seemed to flood over my whole body. Instantly, instantly, every single feeling I had of anger, of bitterness, of resentment, of depression, of unforgiveness, and all those other poisons were completely erased, completely dissolved, completely washed away, and completely cleansed right out of my heart by God's love. And I went home, I went home very happy that day. So if you want to feel forgiveness, if you want to feel forgiveness, all you have to do is lift your hand. Lift your hand and let God do the rest. Lift your hand to make that phone call. Lift your hand to write that letter. Lift your hand to wave that greeting. Lift your hand to pat that shoulder, to wrap that gift, to shake that hand, to give that hug, to ring that doorbell, to send those flowers. I promise you, if you will lift your hand, God will do the rest and you will instantly feel God's healing warmth flooding over your whole being. In closing, I was giving this teaching about forgiveness down at Happy Camp Christian Fellowship and uh, I was almost done with it when I had an afterthought. Out of nowhere, I said, and I mean out of nowhere, it just came. I said, oh, by the way, don't don't forget to forgive yourself. Don't forget to forgive yourself. And the moment I said this, a woman in the back row suddenly let out a loud groan and doubled over in pain in her chair. Then she immediately grew quiet again, but remained doubled over until I'd finished the teaching and closed with prayer. At that point, she moved very quickly over to where the pastor and his wife were standing and asked them for prayer. She, the pastor, and his wife stayed there praying for about 15 minutes. Then as she was leaving, she came over to me and said, I want to thank you. Your prompting me to forgive myself may have just saved my life. I never found out exactly what she was talking about, but I do know this. Forgiving ourselves, forgiving ourselves is accomplished in exactly the same manner as forgiving others. We need to act. We need to accept human fallibility. We're human. We all make mistakes. We're human. We will make bad decisions from time to time. We're human. We all mess up on occasion. Listen, we're human and we're flawed and we need to go easy on ourselves. We also need to cancel the debt. We may feel that we owe somebody something that we can never repay. Well, if we've tried our best to make amends and we failed, then we need to release ourselves from the torment of our personal prison. Doing the best to make things right is all that God asks of us. Hear me, doing our best to make things right is all that God asks of us. And we need to turn the page. 
We need to turn, we can't bring back the baby. We can't undo history. We can't change the past, but we can get up, get dressed, get some food and get back to work. When? Today, this morning, this hour, this minute, now. Now is always the best time to begin forgiveness. I like to say, keep short accounts, guys and gals. Ephesians 4.26 puts it this way, be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, it's okay to get angry. That's just human. It's what we do about it that matters. It's what we do about it. I think it's just a good policy not to let the sun go down on our anger. And finally, I want to close with this little saying. It goes like this. I can't change my heart, but I can change my mind. God can change my heart, but he won't change my mind. But... If I will change my mind, God will change my heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us a sense of how important forgiveness is, not just because it's a nice thing to do, but it is a, a very healthy thing to do, not to carry the burden of disliking people, of just wanting to get even, of any of that stuff. May we take your love into our hearts and forgive with that. If we don't have our, enough power, Lord, give it to us so we can do the right thing in your name. Help us to forgive those people that have really, really given us trials in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And I have one more song for you. And uh, I hope you like this. This sort of follows up in what, we, what I've been teaching, that uh, God forgave you all your sins. So here we go. God forgave my sins In Jesus' name I've been born again In Jesus' name And in Jesus' name I come to you To share His love As He told me to He said freely, freely You have received Freely Go in my name And because you believe Others will know that I live All power is given In Jesus' name In earth and heaven In Jesus' name And in Jesus' name I come to you to share his power as he told me to. He said, freely, freely, you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. He said, freely, freely, you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. Thank you all very much. See you soon.